So I was robbed three times, but only once by gunpoint. Welcome in to Like a Man. I'm your host, Miles Nielsen. On today's show, I invited Ty Toulson, who was a missionary for two years in Honduras. I wanted to see what it was like, the everyday life, to be among the people literally in the trenches. And what was it like learning the language? What was the food like? And then any experiences he had. Let's give it a listen. Honduras, first of all, is a beautiful country, very green. If you're from the West, whether anywhere from Washington down to California over to even Texas, you cannot fathom how green and how beautiful Honduras is. But what a lot of people think of is there's an island, a Caribbean island owned by Honduras called Roatan. And that's where a lot of people have been just due to cruises or or doing a big scuba diving adventure. And, and that's awesome. And you get to play with dolphins and you get to have some awesome drinks in a, in a nice villa on the beach. But that is nothing like where I live in San Pedro Sula. San Pedro Sula was actually the murder capital of the world up until roughly 2019. And I was there from 20, hmm, let's see, 2015 to 2017. And then in, in 2019, El Salvador, Honduras's neighbor, kind of took over as the kingpin, but that's just because El Salvador's danger and and kind of the violence that is going on in El Salvador got worse. San Pedro Sula did not get better. So when I was there, and I'll need to kind of fact check this, but there was 1.1 murders every single day, just on a per capita basis. So 51.2 for every 100,000 people were murdered. And uh, it was pretty intense. There's a lot of gang violence. We've all heard of like the MS-13 And a fun fact is like the MS-13 actually came out of Honduras and El Salvador. It's a street in LA, but it was a a lot of people from El Salvador and Honduras who had moved to LA to try and make a living. And as they were trying to stay together and figure life out, the MS-13 and then uh, the Diecioocho, which is another just MS-18, those are two rival gangs, but both came out of Honduras and El Salvador. So there's Lots of amazing parts of Honduras, but that is by far the most exciting part and led to a lot of interesting interactions in my two years in in Honduras. So let's go back. What took you to Honduras? I served a mission for my church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I was really lucky. My dad served in Guatemala, which there's, you know, there's America just below is Mexico. Just below Mexico, you've got Guatemala, which is where my dad served in the southern part of Guatemala. And then I served in the northern part of Honduras in San Pedro Sula. And so you have a a two-year opportunity to to serve people in any way possible. The idea is to to help people come closer to Christ, to uh, make promises with him, get baptized, and do their best to live a a God-fearing life. But it also led to a lot of service, whether... I dug 10 plus trenches for people's outhouses, built houses, built fences, chopped a lot of grass with the machetes. So it was a super fun time of of service and just learning a little boot camp on on how to do something more than just for yourself. So your experience there wasn't 
at these resorts, it was, you were living in with the people literally with them in the trenches type experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for a good half of my mission, I lived in the city, which is still most houses are concrete with tile floor. And then about half of the country is, you know, metal shacks with mud or or just like dirt floor. And that kind of the setting you can imagine. No infrastructure. A couple of towns I served in had more cows than people. But the people in those towns were very humble, very hardworking farmers most of the time. And so it definitely teaches you what hard work can look like. And whether you do or don't want to do that. And so that was a, a great perspective as well. Let's go back. You were saying scary stories. What kind of scary stories do you got for us that you could share? Oh, it's funny. So like on your mission, you, there's you and your companion, right? There's another another guy, another young 18, 19 year old kid that you run around with uh, as you're trying to do good for the world. But we both remember this story differently. And uh, we had a goal that day just to smile and say hi to as many people as possible. And we were trying to talk to at least a hundred people that day. And as we were going around being super happy, we were knocking on this random door of a house to try and just see who was there. And if they wanted to learn more about Jesus Christ and our message. And we turn around and there's this motorcycle that pulls up and a guy jumps off the back. And you don't think much of that because there's people running around delivering packages 24 seven or traveling by motorcycle is pretty common. But this guy, there's two people on this motorcycle. One person jumps off the back and then he jumps over this three foot hedge. That is kind of the border of this house's property that we were knocking on. And I was like, Oh, that's impressive. Like, I wonder what's going to happen next. This guy just whips out a gun He's like, give me all your money. And he talks to us in broken English, which surprised us. And we're like 18, 19 year old kids. We each have these terrible brick Nokia phones that are probably five bucks a piece. And uh, I had 20 pesos on me, which is literally less than a dollar. And my companion had like 40 pesos on him. So he, he barely has two bucks. And this guy saw, you know, two Americans and probably thought it was it was a payday for him. But he walked away with maybe $12 worth of stuff, but we were both so stunned that I thought that this guy was, you know, light skinned, that he was wearing a white shirt. And my companion remembers that this guy was like, had a darker complexion, was wearing a blue shirt. We were just both in shock. And so that house ended up opening up the door, but we just went in and sat down for a little bit to try and recollect ourselves. But that was, that was really common. So I was robbed three times but only once by gunpoint and the other two were just drunk people that needed a little bit of help so we gave them a little bit of of money you were kind enough to help them out (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so with your experience having lived there not many people understand the lifestyle like like i was saying before and what i want to emphasize is you were there with the people and not whining and dining you were like digging and sweating with them. Um, what was the lifestyle like for the people? What was, what was the thing that you admired about their lifestyle compared to maybe what happens in the U S? Yeah. And I think, I think the largest difference is both a blessing. It is good for Americans, but it's also like what keeps us from living a fulfilled life is, you know, what we call like the rat race, but we all want to have a successful career as we worry about, providing for our families and doing the best that we can to make sure that our kids have a better future. But in Honduras, like, first of all, like the landscape is a lot of rolling hills uh, and picture like 
pastel concrete walls with dirt floors for most of them. And these dirt floors are like the houses of these people, as simple as they are, you know, they are kept so clean. Um, so you're saying just simple lives, not running the rat race. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I would say like these, these humble dads are working so hard for their families as much as they're they're They don't have the education to be working in the factory. And I get that. Like in America, we hate on Nike, on Jilden, on Dickies, on um, Under Armour for having these textile companies in Honduras. And like, you know, we're polluting the area or, or whatever it might be. That was the ideal job for, you know, the top people in whatever town we typically served in. I thought that's interesting, but uh, yeah, these, these people are living on maybe $5 a day and like beans and rice is breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but breakfast, you add in coffee and dinner, you maybe have some chicken, but you're living off the basics. But when you can sustain that day after day after day, and there's really no concern for achieving more, there was a simplicity to where the culture is so accepting everybody laughs everybody you can talk to anybody and they're they're happy to let you in their house a lot of the time we wouldn't even knock on doors we would just walk into the house and be like hey we're missionaries from the church of jesus christ and you know we were good enough at just having small talk and if you were if you had a good story for the day everyone was was excited to hear you and so i think that a, a big piece of that culture is something that uh you know i miss a lot but obviously comes with a lot of the downfalls as well of not having running water or not having electricity every single month. You got to kind of budget it in and hopefully you squeeze it for every single month there. Let's move over to the language. You were speaking Spanish and you became fluent. How long did that take? And tell us about the learning process of like in the, the missionary training center to living on in Honduras to the point where you felt comfortable talking to anybody about anything. Yeah. And from a language perspective, I was pretty lucky again, where my dad served in Guatemala and then he, he's a general contractor and all of his workers were either from Mexico or from Guatemala. And so we were constantly surrounded and my dad made it a big point to speak Spanish. Often we all took Spanish for four years and so we were very familiar with the language, but that does not mean that we knew anything, even though I thought I knew something. So you show up to the MTC and I was in Mexico just as it opened up, actually. And you learn the very, very basics of life from asking for food to where's the bathroom to then what are the basics of uh, the basic everyday tasks that you'll be doing? So how do you talk about Jesus Christ? How do you talk about baptism and what you believe and why you believe it? and how to help others come to that knowledge as well. And so the training center is six weeks long. By the end of those six weeks, I felt like I knew everything that I was ready to converse with anybody. And then you show up to Honduras and there's a different cadence to how they talk and they talk super fast. And so everything you thought you knew wasn't real. It's just in this little inc incubator. And so I was lucky to where in the first place that I lived, I didn't have a English speaking companion. And so I was forced to, you were either going to speak Spanish or be quiet. So that pushed me a lot to try and learn the language. And a lot of it, you know, early on, 
you can't speak the language, but you can listen as intently as you possibly can and listen with love. And I think that, that helped a ton to where you just have a prayer in your heart 24 seven to try and understand what these people are saying and what they're conveying and read their body language to kind of understand what's going on. But by the three month mark, I was very confident with Spanish. I'm sure it was broken. I'm sure it was not perfect by any means, but I could get my point across and I could understand Spanish pretty well. And then by six months, you know it very, very well. I think a big benefit is that it's the same alphabet, essentially, just with a couple new letters that have you know, different accents on them. But yeah, I'd say by six months, you're rocking and rolling and should have the language down. What was your methodology? Would you carry around word cards? Would you write down phrases you didn't know? How did you, what was the steady techniques that you used to learn it? We had certain books that were given to us that had pull out flashcards within the book that had relevant words pertaining to the things that you would teach. And so I had that, that kind of what you leaned on a lot. And then we had an hour of language study from 12 to one right after lunch. And I would just be pouring over the scriptures mostly and circling words that I didn't understand. And then just as we would walk and talk, I am not the most organized person in terms of having beautiful processes in place, but just whenever I had a question or I would just ask, you know, what did you just say? And what does that mean? And as much as nailing the lessons was priority number one, priority number two was trying to understand like the, essentially like the slang of what people said, because again, this is like a relatively uneducated place that I was serving in. And so people weren't speaking in perfect Spanish and there's like, you know, conjugations and different ways that you would talk to people like in, and you're always taught in, in Spanish that there's yo to usted, vosotros, and ustedes. But there's this other one called vos that isn't really used outside of El Salvador, Honduras, and Argentina. And it's it's a completely different conjugation set that's not taught to you in any formal way. And so you kind of had to go out of your way to understand what was going on there. Essentially, it was it was going off the church, the the missionary resources. And then I'm a bit of a social butterfly. So just talking as much as possible to people. What do you think is the future for Honduras? Having lived there, now you're in business. You kind of see how things are. What's your opinion on the future of that country? I think Honduras has a bright future. It's actually something that that you and I have talked about prior as well, but there are only only so many places that the, the race to the bottom, certain countries are pulling out of that race. And Honduras is a great place to continue to invest in while the infrastructure from a transportation perspective isn't fully built out. The desire and the labor force is so strong and willing to grow there. And even when when I was down there, there was a couple there, there were certain companies that were expanding like crazy, Nike and Under Armour being two of them. And so I think that that Central America as a whole will continue to, to grow. But the only thing that hinders that is the gang violence, specifically in El Salvador, as they kind of continue to wage war on El Salvador's government. But there's so much opportunity for development that I don't see why America wouldn't continue there. 
and and America does have a pretty strong influence there. They put in the most recent president, so I'm sure that they can do what they will there. I align with you. I think in the best interest of the United States, we should start turning to our neighbors and investing in their education systems and in their infrastructure because there's a ton of untapped potential with that labor force and the resources that they have. If you put together like the Americas with their populations and everything, it's, I mean, it's a rival that nobody else could touch. It just yeah. turned into our neighbors and, and realizing it, it. It's been really interesting to watch as much as we've seen, what was it? Venezuela recently kind of collapsed with their, their strong relationships with Russia. It is interesting that how there is that Russia versus America battle going in, in all of South America and Central America, even right now with Brazil, with uh, upcoming elections and some of the, the influences that are there. And Nicaragua, which is right next to El Salvador and, and Honduras, is, is really heavily tied to Venezuela as well as the Russian government. So what we are thinking about is definitely something that is that is in play and it'll be it'll be fun to watch. But not only is it cheap labor, but that cheap labor to us is also a golden ticket opportunity for a lot of people. There were many parents that were working in factories that could afford to send their kid to a university or to send them to high school. And they were the first kids to graduate from high school and go on to college. I, I can't tell you how many kids I still talk to today. Um, or I mean, there's, I talked to about six 19 year olds now, but they were about, mm, they were about 12 years old when I was on my mission that they're the, the first kids to graduate from high school. They went on missions. They're either just ending their missions or coming back and going to the university upon returning. So it's definitely a, a growing opportunity for both parties, the people who live in Honduras and then America as they continue to look to, to use Central and South America as an you know, opportunity to grow. Yep. America needs to be a better neighbor, I think. Yeah. Well, man, Ty, thanks for coming on. This is a fun discussion. Yes, sir. And that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 